Welcome to another exciting episode of Mission Compliance, Unleashing Growth Potential for Defense Contractors. On today's episode, we delve into the dynamic world of defense manufacturing and explore the journey from prototype to full-scale production. Join us as we uncover the best practices, strategies, and real-world experiences shared by industry experts, providing you with uh, invaluable insights on successfully scaling up in the defense sector. In the next several minutes, We'll take you on a fascinating ride through the challenges and opportunities that arise when transitioning innovative ideas from, from the concept stage to becoming fully operational in the defense industry. We'll, we'll go through the intricacies of navigating this critical phase, sharing practical guidelines that can make all the difference in achieving success. Whether you're a defense manufacturer, a business owner, or simply curious about the cutting edge advancements happening in the field, this episode promises to be ca- a captivating exploration of the art and science of scaling defense manufacturing. So sit back, relax, and get ready to be inspired by the transformative journey from prototype to production. Survey says... We're joined once again today by Mike Frieder, president of On-Call Compliance Solutions and a CMMC certified assessor. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Hey, absolutely, Rowan. Great to be here. So, Mike, today we're tackling innovation, using defense manufacturing to take the next big idea from concept to commodity and using it as a competitive edge in the equally competitive industry. So with that said, how important is it to have a well-defined and structured product development process in place to ensure a smooth transition from prototype to production? That's a great question, Roman. Um, Ask me that question one more time. I want to make sure that I caught every piece of that. All right. How important is it to have a well-defined and structured product development process in place to ensure a smooth transition from prototype to production? And from your standpoint, let's say, like, how can compliance play a role in that as well? Yeah, so I I think that's a great question. Um, One thing to keep in mind is that NIST SB 800-171 has some provisions that allow for these things called enduring exceptions. And enduring exceptions are are a really hot topic uh, because enduring exceptions allow an organization to basically say, hey, look, for whatever reason, this can't be made to be compliant. Uh, Here's my best effort or how I'm mitigating the risk created by this not being able to be compliant. And nowhere is that really more relevant uh, than the um, you know, then the then the situation when it comes to, um, you know, when it when it comes to uh, creating things, right? So laboratory environments, testing environments, uh, other scenarios where there's just uh, a variable procedure um, that, you know, essentially you're you're testing things, right? And sometimes in a testing environment, you have to be able to operate without the confines of security and known heuristics uh, on threats. So um, very interesting, you know, again, if you can create your products and services in that secure environment, that's great. If you can't, then to make a long story short, I think that you ultimately have to create some sort of a secured or air-gapped sandbox where we can say, hey, look, this is a laboratory testing environment, this is a creation environment, um, and we can't be constrained by these compliance standards to create what our, you know, experimental new end product is going to be. And so we're going to do it over here in this air-gapped environment. 
Um, and then, you know, when it's something that is a finished product and can be resecured, then at that point, you know, that can be joined to the, to the, you know, sort of regular environment, facility, network, what have you. So um, definitely plays a huge role. And, and I think it's really important because there's a lot of people that we've met who are really banging their head against the wall, trying to figure out uh, how do you work within the confines of NIST as a defense contractor and keep creative freedoms and developmental freedoms. It's a really big challenge. Um, and so I think that is something that, uh, you know, we, we really are quite challenged with. And it's something that I think, um, you know, is, is very relevant. You know, people need to understand they are still free to operate and, and do what they've got to do for creation. Uh, but then once you're out of the prototyping phase and once it's into production, uh, some level of determination has to be made about compliance. Now, there's another aspect of this, too, which is that NIST also provides for a couple of specific example scenarios. One of them is uh, the laboratory environment. So, for instance, um, there are some laboratory testing equipments out there that have to be connected to a network to send data out onto the network, but that simply cannot be made NIST compliant. Um, those are tough scenarios. And there is, in fact, a provision, again, with enduring exceptions. There is an understanding there is certain equipment which uh, it is not practical to make compliant. They may have embedded operating systems that just simply can't take certain security softwares. Uh, they may be laboratory equipment that is old and uh, you know just doesn't have uh, up-to-date Windows operating systems, for instance. There's a lot of uh, measurement equipment out there, uh, especially manufacturing. There's a lot of older equipment that's out there that sort of meets these guidelines. So, um, you know, I think it needs to be understood that NIST is an attempt to fully secure an environment. And I think it does a good job. But as with all rules, there are exceptions to those rules. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's a good perspective on how compliance plays into the whole manufacturing and prototype process. Speaking of, of freedoms, sometimes the best way to advance your manufa manufacturing practices is to collaborate and take advantage of additional of additional assets in the process. So what role does collaboration play in successfully scaling defense manufacturing and how can partnerships with other companies or organizations be leveraged? It's a great question. You know, defense is a very, very unique industry. Uh, unlike a lot of other private industries, there's way more teaming that goes on. There's actually a, a term for government contracting called teaming or teamwork. Um, and basically teaming is when one company will go out and win a contract as a prime, knowing that they will be enlisting the help of other companies, either as subcontractors or as partners in the contract. And I think collaboration is key. Now, when it comes to compliance, it gets a little bit messy because everybody needs to be compliant, but there are ways around that. As a matter of fact, one of the things that they teach you in, uh, in CMMC certification training is that oftentimes, and it is probably looked at as a fairly normal thing, uh, you may have a very large client um, or a large uh, you know, prime contractor with secured systems that then needs to extend those systems to subcontractors who are not compliant. Um, we always recommend to our clients that they send out computers and other things that are their property to subcontractors who are not compliant so that that subcontractor can then be authorized to work within their secure and compliant system. It is much different than the private sector. You'd probably never find uh, you know, two private companies sending each other laptops to work on projects. Um, they would just simply give them access to, to whatever system has that data. It's not really that huge of a deal. You know who the people are, et cetera. But when you get bigger and when you get into defense, 
uh, you know, this is this is a much more common thing. So I think it's another thing for smaller defense contractors to understand that it is not unusual that you may have to sort of give your subcontractors a helping hand in terms of upholding compliance and information security, and that um, that needs to be factored into the cost of delivery. Uh, so look, if you've got to ship out 20 laptops to get a project done for engineering, and the engineers are not within your company, but you're the one that's responsible for being compliant, you need to factor that cost in. It's a pretty serious cost. So um, yeah, great, great question. Absolutely, absolutely. As we've mentioned before on this podcast, one of the most important attributes a defense contractor can possess is agility and flexibility, the the ability to to adapt and change as needed in this fast-paced industry. How do you maintain flexibility and adaptability during the scaling process, especially considering the rapidly evolving technology landscape in the defense sector? That's a good question. I want to hear that question one more time just to make sure that I really, really take it in and, and give a thoughtful answer there. All right. How do you maintain flexibility and adaptability during the scaling process, especially considering the rapidly evolving technological landscape in the defense sector? Um, yeah, it's a really excellent question. I think there's a couple of different ways to handle this. Number one is the first thing that should be done is, you know, if, and again, this is, so what this speaks to is this speaks to companies who are creating things. Um, not maybe fulfilling things or like an HR company or something like that. So if you're in manufacturing or lab testing or, you know, you're, you're, or, or you're a research company, or maybe you have a research arm uh, of your company that does things like this. Um, I personally think that every company needs the freedom to operate the way it needs to operate. Oftentimes what we are doing is we are helping clients to set up a secure enclave. Uh, sometimes we call it an SDE or secure data enclave which is a subsection of the network that is secured to NIST standards, and that's where the CUI is going to be held. Then you have, let's say, another network or another VLAN or subnetwork or whatever makes sense for segmentation. And a lot of times what will happen is that, that other network will wind up being isolated or air-gapped, or at least certainly the CUI is air-gapped away from it, so that you can develop without CUI, and you, know, you can always bring in test data uh, or test whatever parts, et cetera, uh, but that way, CUI is not interfacing during that evolution process with your product or service. Um, I think that might be something really good for our audience to hear, which is if you're in development, the ideal scenario is don't use live defense data, you know, during your development process. Let's let's use sample data or sample, you know, whatever it is, parts, whatever, uh, wherever possible to just limit the exposure of CUI into, you know, non-secured environments for sure. And again, as it becomes more and more mature and you do have to move towards live testing with real data, at that point, the question is, you know, can you put it onto the secured network where it belongs? It's really what we should be doing. Or does it require an enduring exception? Obviously, we write that into the plan and make, make exceptions for that. So uh, again, I, I think every situation is a little bit different. I think to get a really good answer, we would really need to understand your specific scenario. And I think that's a great you know, segue into basically just saying, look, you can visit us at cmmccompliancesecrets.com. You can self-schedule time with one of our experts for free. It doesn't cost you a penny to do. Um, and, and I think we vet these kinds of scenarios all day long. And, um, you know, I, I just, I, I'm an advocate for giving answers where I know how to give them. And I think that in this particular scenario, it really is very specific to the client. So 
there's kind of a generic answer. But again, if you've got that specific scenario, you're concerned about it, I would really encourage you to reach out, talk with one of our one of our certified experts. It doesn't cost you anything to do. There's no obligation or anything. Um, and I think it would probably get you much closer to an accurate answer there. Uh, but hey, enduring exceptions are a thing. The challenge with enduring exceptions is that an assessor can call your enduring exception into question. They can say, I'm not going to allow that. And the real challenge is, is that, you know, if you're in like a gray area, you're not quite a lab testing environment. There's not really a good reason for it to be air gapped. It's just old. They're going to look at you and go, well, why haven't you fixed this yet? And you're going to have to come up with a really good answer. And if you're, if you're, if your contract's got a bunch of profit in it, there's no good answer, right? That's, that's, they're going to look at things like that. So I just want to caution you guys. Um, but yeah, great, great question. Hopefully, uh, hopefully I, I answered all of it. Absolutely. I mean, I think you provided a very valuable answer. This is a very valuable topic in general. And, 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 and listen, on this podcast, we try to have a lot of fun, but sometimes this, these compliance topics and these these topics can be can be a bit dry. So we like to finish off the podcast with with what I think has become one of our favorite parts, and that's to ask a silly question that is in some way and maybe not really at all related to the topic that we've talked about. Like we said on on a, on a previous episode, the questions may be silly, but that doesn't mean they're irrelevant. So here here comes this week's silly question, Mike. Is there like a secret ancient scroll with with mystical wisdom that reveals the ultimate scaling up techniques to defense contractors? It's great. It's a really great question. Um, you know, we counsel our clients frequently on scaling up. It's one of my favorite topics and one of the favorite discussions that we have because, you know, an on-call compliance, you know, that's one of the big challenges is we love working with our defense contractors. We really do. Um, and we want to help them cover their costs of getting compliant. We want to see them grow. At the end of the day, what this is really all about is growing their defense footprint, growing their companies, and being successful, right? It's a team effort. Um, I will tell you that I think that there's a lot of different elements that make a defense contractor successful and able to scale. The good news is that most of those methods are traditional business methods. Um, a lot of it goes back to absolute sales fundamentals with your people. Are your people calling? Are your people following up with your existing client base? Are you asking for more business? Those are really basic fundamental things that um, you've just sort of got to get into place and that so few sales teams really have nailed. Um, I'll give you a great example. We go back to our clients and we ask them for referrals every single quarter. I'd probably do it every month, but um, again, every quarter has got us pretty pretty flush with business right now. But we do that. We check in on them. We see how they're doing. We make sure they're doing okay with their product or service they get from us. Um, those are like the basic fundamentals of taking good care of a customer, and yet they're so rare. So many people are just sort of factories in the sense that they, you know, they get the order, they process the order, they send it out. It's done. It's off the books. And there's no sales guy uh, sort of following up with old accounts. There's just a sales team that's there to deal with the net new. And the net new is the most expensive business to acquire. It's the hardest to acquire. Um, so I would say that the first thing to do is if you've gotten compliant with this, go back to your accounting system, pull a list of all of the clients that haven't interacted with you in the last six months to 12 months, have a salesperson call them back up. Um, and guys, that's like just, that is just tipping the iceberg on what I would do to help a defense business grow. And again, you know, we we sort of reserve a lot of the sales advice for during our consultations 
Um, it's something that we really make a big effort to utilize and train so that they can really make up the money that they're spending to get compliant. And, uh, and it works. I mean, we've just watched so many of our clients scale up and uh, there is no magic bullet, but there kind of is. Um, as, as I so often find in business, if you just do the doing, if you just do the work, it's amazing what the end result will be. And um, I think that in sales, we so often fail to do the work, you know, to make the grind, to, to, to follow up and just be good human beings and find out if our customers are happy with their service. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, there's an old saying uh, that I follow, which is give, 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 and then ask. You've got to give three times before you can really ask for something back. And All I right. think that that's a really important part. You know, I think you've just got to give. And part of that giving means follow up with the client, make sure that they're continuing to be happy, but then ask, hey, do you have any more work you could send my way? Is there anything else I can do for you, et cetera? Um, you know, do you have do you have other companies that you know are into this stuff that could use our help? Uh, those are things that I think every company could do better. See, what did I tell you guys? Just because the question is silly does not mean the answer is irrelevant. <laughs> And with that, that wraps up another great episode of Mission Compliance. We hope our discussion today has provided you with valuable insights, practical strategies, and inspiration to navigate the ever-evolving world of defense. We'd like to thank Mike for joining us again and for providing us with another episode chock full of valuable information. Thanks, Mike. Hey, always a pleasure, Roman. But the conversation doesn't end here. We encourage you to continue exploring these topics and connect with us on our social media channels. Share your thoughts, ask questions, and engage with fellow listeners using the hashtag Mission Compliance Podcast. If you haven't already, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform to be the first to know when new episodes like this one are released. And we truly appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review the show. Your feedback helps us continue to bring you thought-provoking episodes and high-quality content. Join us again on the next episode of Mission Compliance as we delve further into the dynamic world of defense, security, and industry innovation. Until then, take care, stay informed, and make compliance your mission. See you next time. Thanks, everybody.